What is up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Rewired Soul podcast. If you don't know me, my name is Chris, and I love interviewing authors or people who are just, you know, investigating or studying really cool and interesting things. Like, I love to learn. I read hundreds of books a year. So I started this podcast to just have some conversations and talk about some interesting stuff. And that is what we're doing today with my guest, Mick West. So real quick backstory, all right, how I, how I came across Mick West's book. I, I just started getting really curious about human behavior and why we believe in weird things. Like, it really started when I was curious about, like, why do we believe, like, gossip? You know, why do we believe these, like, stories about friends or family members or even celebrities? And then you start thinking about conspiracy theories. And I started thinking, you know, I really, I mean, really ended, like, psychology and stuff. I'm like, I wonder if there's any books. Um, and Mick West's book is the first book I came across about debunking conspiracy theories. And I really love his, um, his way of approaching it. And he's done an excellent job uh, swaying people who believed in conspiracy theories. And when I was making videos on my YouTube channel about debunking QAnon and stuff, I had so many people, so many people reaching out and saying like, hey, I have a family member who really fell down the QAnon rabbit hole. I don't know what to do, right? Well, Mick is excellent at not only debunking conspiracies, but how to talk to people who believe in these conspiracy theories in a, in a kind, empathetic, kind of understanding way. So I'm really, really, really glad that he was able to uh, make it on the podcast. So do me two favors, just two, that's it. If you like this episode, make sure that you check the description and go follow Mick West over on Twitter and pick up a copy of his book. All that stuff is linked down in the description. But the second favor, the second favor, this is only episode three of the podcast. We're trying to get the word out there. So if you like this, like make sure you're subscribed if you're listening on Apple. Uh, if you're on Spotify, I think you could just follow there. And you know what really helps out? Leave a review, all right? Click those stars if you wanna say something nice. Hey, and I'm not even trying to sell you on a positive review leave any type of review. I, I love feedback and I'm always trying to improve and all that stuff. So that would be very much appreciated. But anyways, anyways, with all the talk about conspiracies and conspiracy theories and all that stuff, like the recent news about UFOs and declassifying and all that, without further ado, I want to introduce Mick West, Conspiracy Theory Debunker. Hey, Mick, thank you so much for joining me here on the podcast. So first question. So uh, a lot of us have noticed that in the last year, conspiracy theories have become more of this mainstream conversation from QAnon to the burning down of 5G towers when people said it was spreading COVID. Uh, we had the people storming the Capitol on January 6th all because of voter fraud conspiracies with absolutely no evidence. Like a lot has happened. And I've noticed that a lot of people are pretty combative with conspiracy theorists and uh, you know, like they attack their intelligence. And what I've noticed is like, that doesn't seem 
to do any good. And I'm like, you know, what, what's the goal when we're having conversations with these people? Like if we're trying to convince them to drop their beliefs, you know, being combative isn't really helping. But uh, in your book, Escaping the Rabbit Hole, excellent book, it says, um, you know, that one of the things is that we need to talk to these people like, like they're a friend, right? And that's something I love about your approach. So in your opinion, why do you think it's so difficult for people to speak with conspiracy theorists with, uh, you know, like patience and tolerance? Well, it's really difficult uh, to talk to people who believe in conspiracy theories sometimes. And it can be very, very frustrating uh, because there's really a, a two-way miscommunication going on here. They are not understanding you, and this can be very frustrating. You're trying to explain something to them. You're trying to explain to them, you know, how the world really works and how the things that they believe are wrong. And they are essentially doing the same thing to you. Uh, they think that you have been kind of uh, sucked in by the mainstream media and fooled by the mainstream media and that uh, your beliefs are the ones that are wrong and you of course think the same thing about them now it may be and it probably is the case that you have the more correct point of view but you really have to look at it from their perspective they think that they are right and they think that you are not listening to them and so they get frustrated which means that you are unable to communicate with them, and so you get frustrated, and so you get two frustrated people who are just not communicating. And that just very quickly escalates until one of them gets angry and leaves. And it, it can be them, they could get angry and leave, or it could be you. You could think, oh, this person is being stupid, this person isn't listening to me. So what you've really got to do is kind of take a step back and try to establish some kind of uh, framework for communication. You have to have some kind of basis of understanding each other. And the way to do that isn't to start out by arguing. It isn't to start out by challenging their beliefs. It's to start out by trying to understand their beliefs. And to do that, you have to essentially treat them with some respect. Treat them as a person who has beliefs that they think are genuine and that they think are based on real, real evidence from their perspective and try to understand where they're coming from. And at the same time, at the same time, Try to get them to understand where you're coming from, but don't do it in an aggressive way because it's simply not productive. You're going to get this 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 frustration, this butting of heads, and uh, it, it just doesn't work. So uh, be patient and be respectful of them and start out trying to understand them rather than trying to change their minds. Yeah, absolutely. This is something that I realized when I started to kind of just you know, really start analyzing people who are spreading or believing misinformation. And then as I started learning more about various conspiracies and all that, like just as a skeptic, I'm like, how do, how do people believe this, right? And personally, personally for me, with what you're saying, like that's helped me out tremendously. Like rather than just looking at the surface level of what a person's saying or the conspiracy they might believe in or whatever, I ask myself, why? why do they believe this, right? And, you know, for example, and I know, you know, you, t you talk about this a lot and some other authors I, I read who talk about conspiracies discuss this. Like there have been real life conspiracies. Something I love uh, from a recent Michael Shermer book I read was he talks about the difference between conspiracies and conspiracy theories. 
But anyways, you know, I, I meet people and maybe they have, uh, you know, these conspiracy theories about the COVID vaccine. And when you start talking to them, you realize, oh, you've had a terrible, you know, experience with the health healthcare system, right? And all that kind of stuff. So yeah, uh, that, that patience tolerance and just kind of understanding and trying to have a conversation and say, okay, where are you coming from, right? Um, so yeah, so... So last year, uh, I had a YouTube video where I was debunking QAnon COVID conspiracies, and that video was wrongfully taken down by YouTube. And recently, one of your videos where you were debunking conspiracy theories was taken down as well, and that's actually how you and I started talking. So can you explain what that specific video was about and why was it taken down? And where are you at now with that video? I actually had two videos that were taken down. Uh, they were both QAnon videos, and I think they were kind of taken down in uh, you know, the kind of pushback that YouTube started against QAnon around the time of the election fraud conspiracy theories and after the storming of the Capitol. The first video was a interview with Mike Rothschild, who is a debunker of QAnon. And so, you know, I'm a debunker, he's a debunker. We're both like talking about how ridiculous QAnon is and how silly it is. But YouTube somehow got it flagged probably with AI and they took it down. Uh, I appealed and I did everything I could to try to get it back up and just basically got nothing at all back. And that video is still down. Then uh, about a month or two ago, I did another interview with somebody who was a QAnon believer. And I was talking to him and he was trying to basically convince me that QAnon wasn't real, uh, was real rather, and uh, that I was wrong. And I was just, you know, basically pointing out various flaws in his, his analysis. And that got flagged. I guess that's more reasonable because, you know, essentially he was promoting QAnon, but you know, I wasn't. I was trying to debunk what he was saying. So I appealed that one, and I, I just basically did a strongly worded thing explaining who I was and you know what I was trying to do with the video, and they had that they put that one back. They actually agreed with me and put that one back. But you know the problem is the other video, far less offensive than than this video, is now lost forever at least on YouTube, and there's there's no recourse at all unless you can find someone who's like you know a bit higher up in the food chain. Uh, then you got no recourse. And I think that's a problem because a lot of people put up things that are legitimate criticism of uh, things like QAnon. And you know, essentially, YouTube is stifling discussion, uh, critical discussion. It's not just discussion promoting a theory, but it's critical discussion of that theory by, by people, you know, fairly small fry like me. I only have like you know, 12,000 subscribers or so. Uh, but you know, people do do listen to it. People who are interested in conspiracy theories listen to me, and you know now YouTube has stamped me out. Uh, I'm in kind of two minds about about that. I I think there is a benefit to hiding the information that uh, gets people sucked down the rabbit hole, but there's also a real danger that uh, that will be seen as evidence that the conspiracy theory is correct. And then people will be more likely to believe it because of this. But you know, if, if people are not being ex exposed to a particular conspiracy theory, then the likelihood is that they, they won't form beliefs around it. But for people who are already in it, this could reinforce their belief. And, and if they, they could then show people the, 
videos on another platform and uh, I think that possibly a lost opportunity by uh, YouTube uh, clamping down a bit too hard, especially for certain types of people. Absolutely. It's it's a really tricky situation. Um, in, a, in a previous episode, I was talking to Jillian York, who, you know, talks about social media and free speech and all that. And, it, and it's it's tough because, you know, we were talking about like, hey, realistically, do you have people who can manually review this stuff? And that's something with, you know, these conspiracy theories and QAnon. And like you mentioned, that's something that I learned very quickly when trying to understand the psychology behind conspiracy theories and all that is that censorship, removal, even sometimes just the act of disagreeing with a person is evidence to that person that they're right and they're on to something, you know? But uh, I, I love how you were just talking about how we, we need to have discussions. And that's a very tricky and nuanced conversation, in my opinion, where, you know, uh, it's like, do you, do you not even expose people to this potential like, you know, uh, like mind virus, or do you let these people have a platform, let them talk and let the, you know, the, the, the battle of ideas decide, you know, and it's, it's very, it's very tricky. And it's something I think about, I, I, I don't even know <laughs> the right answer for it. Um, but yeah, so, so yeah, going back to why I became interested in all this stuff, um, a lot of it was because I, I wanted to understand why people believe what they believe. And sometimes as I see people believing in these conspiracy theories, I pause and I ask myself like, does this even matter? Like if, the, if they aren't hurting anybody, does it really matter? For example, like we, you know, we, we were just talking about, you know, some of the conspiracies were like storming the Capitol or burning down 5G towers. Like this is turning into like physical action, but you know, there are people who believe in like, you know, the flat earth and things. And, and I'm curious what your thoughts are on that. Um, so when it comes to, you know, these conspiracies, what's your take? Like, does it matter? Should we just leave it alone? Or where do you kind of stand with all of that? I don't think it's really possible to distinguish between which conspiracy theories are kind of, you know, promote action and which conspiracies don't because you have people who essentially are somewhat mentally unstable and they end up believing a variety of weird things and the conspiracy theories kind of tie into those weird things but you know a lot of the time the people who take these actions might have done something anyway they might have just there you know, people who may have some kind of paranoid uh, ideas about the world and these are people who uh, prior to conspiracy theories might have just imagined that people were following them around or people were you know beaming thoughts into their heads or they they were uh, you know leaving secret messages for them in in the, in the newspapers uh, what the conspiracy theory does is uh, provide a target for them uh, the, the comic pizza pizzagate thing obviously now a target was provided and a guy who was a bit uh, susceptible to strange thinking ended up uh, targeting that that uh, that thing, but the, there are cases, of course, where conspiracy theories uh, seem like they are playing a part. There was a recent case where a woman killed her three children. Extremely sad case, and it turns out that she thought that there was a child sex trafficking ring going on in the state where she lived, 
and that she felt her children were in danger of being drawn into this. And so she, she thought that the best thing to do was to kill her own children, which is a terrible outcome, but is that really a result of a conspiracy theory? You know, we have the, the QAnon conspiracy theory that suggests that there is this child sex trafficking thing going on, but uh, it's not clear if that caused her to take that action or if it was just simply there was the, the excuse. You know, you get mothers uh, and fathers killing their children because they think that God is talking to them and telling them to do that. They think their children are possessed by demons. You know, these things, unfortunately, have happened in the past and it may be that just the conspiracy theories are just providing a different flavor. Are, the, are these things happening more frequently than they were before? I think it's a little bit uh, of a danger to look at these extreme cases and say this is a result of the conspiracy theory, uh, when it may just be something that is uh, coloring uh, what might have been an unfortunate outcome anyway. Yeah, you, you bring up an excellent point too when you intertwine mental illness uh you know for example like my my background before uh you know doing this podcast and you know <laughs> having my youtube channel and all that i was working at a dual diagnosis rehab center um you know as a recovering drug addict as somebody who struggled with you know uh things like depression and anxiety right i i know what it can be like to have certain mental illnesses take a toll on your life but when you get into some of these other disorders, such as like paranoid schizophrenia and, and things like that, you know, it can change how you see the world. And the other factor is, you know, drugs, right? Drugs can make you very paranoid. But anyways, what I'm getting at is, like, like you mentioned, is it's hard to decipher if it's the conspiracy theory, if it's mental illness. One of my main concerns is people with, you know, a mental illness getting sucked in by conspiracies, right? And then that group, right? Like you have a QAnon or whoever it is, and they, they find that person and they really fuel it and they fan those flames and they build that up and they tell them that, you know, they're right. And then, you know, this person's in that bubble. And, but yeah, like you said, it's, it's difficult to see where action is going to come and and I don't know. I think the best thing we could do is just have these conversations, try to get people to really think these things through, ask questions and all that kind of stuff, which is a lot of a lot of what you talk about in your book. Um so yeah, so so next question. Um so so a lot of people look at conspiracy theorists and and they just think that they're ridiculous. But when you look around most people believe in something that's not proven science. Like some people believe in, you know, the supernatural or horoscopes or they have their little superstitions. And many of us don't even realize when we have this type of magical thinking. So how do you personally avoid this type of thinking when you come across different information? Are there any like critical thinking go-to tools that you use on a regular basis? Uh, yeah, it's interesting with critical thinking. I think people who bring up conspiracy theories as a problem, they also they, they often say that critical thinking is the answer and that we should all be doing more critical thinking. And uh, often when you ask them what they mean by that, they, they can't actually define what critical thinking actually is. 
and uh, they often kind of frame it as thinking better or using all of your faculties uh, to to think uh, well and make better decisions about things or you know, using science or using logic. It's all very vague. You know, what is critical thinking? Uh, and critical thinking really is about accurately examining the evidence behind a claim. You're being, you're being critical. You don't just accept something blindly. You uh, examine if the basis of an argument is, is a good basis. So if someone tells you that, uh, let's say, 800,000 children go missing every year, you know, that obviously is, is a terrible number, and uh, it, it might it might substantiate the uh, the conspiracy theory of QAnon that children are being abducted. And so, if you want to be critical about that, you don't say, "Oh, that's a ridiculous number." You know, I don't believe that. You say, "Like, where did you get that number from?" And then, when they tell you where they got the number from, then you delve into what that number actually means. What is the context around that number? Yeah, the 800,000 uh, children going missing every year is actually a real number, but it includes people who go, children who go missing for an afternoon. You know, a child runs away or doesn't show up at school and uh, uh, the, the mother reports it uh, to, the, to the police and it gets put into these, this, this database of missing children for you know, 20 minutes, but then they, they come home. Or it's uh, children who, uh, you know, the, the parents' visitation rights aren't lining up right, and he ends up with one parent rather than the other, and uh, someone reports that as a, as a missing child because they, they think the parent should be having shouldn't be having that. What's happening there is that they are conflating uh, stranger abductions with just regular missing children reports, and the actual number of stranger abductions is is something like far far less than one percent of that. It's it's in the hundreds rather than in the hundred, hundreds of thousands. So you've really got to look at the, the the basis of the data and try to figure out, you know, is this data actually good? And that's really the main critical thinking tool that I actually use. Now, you could say it's better to use good logic or it's better to uh, think rationally and things like that. But that's the type of thing that only kind of comes with practice. It's really not something that you can just switch on and off. You can't tell somebody uh, that they should use better critical thinking. This isn't really a useful thing to try to uh, use in your conversations with people, because if you tell them that their their, their logic is wrong and their or that their critical thinking is wrong or that they need more education, this is basically you basically you're criticizing their their brain and their their mental health, and they're going to react very badly to it. So even though I'm a big fan of critical thinking, I generally don't uh, recommend it uh, as such, because I think it's something that has to kind of almost arise naturally. I don't think it's something you can force upon people. Now, as an individual, uh, sure, you can try to do better. Uh, and if you want to figure out how to do that, there's, there's a, number of, uh, a number of books on the subject. Uh, you could look at, you know, recently there's a book, uh, The Skeptic's Guide to the Universe by Stephen Novella and others, uh, that has lots of discussion of that. There's uh, classic older books like Carl Sagan's A Candle in a Dark, uh, which which gives you things like a, 
baloney detection kit, which is a series of steps that you can take to try to figure out whether something is genuine or not. And these these are useful useful tools. And if you, if you want to get better, then you can read these books and you can use these tools. Uh, but you know, really, the fundamental thing is having a good full context understanding of the situation. And the best way to do that is simply to have an open mind uh, about the information and read both sides. Now you are speaking my language, Mick. You recommended some awesome books. Yeah, that was, that was one of uh, the Stephen Novella, Skeptic's Guide to the Universe. That was one of the first books I read, you know, uh, to really get into that and like questioning you know, science, pseudoscience, the supernatural, all that, all that kind of stuff. And, and yeah, I, I still need to check out Carl Sagan, but I love Michael Shermer's books and all that. But I think you touched on something that uh, is really important when it comes to how do we define critical thinking, right? That's something I've been, you know, reading about lately and kind of thinking about too, because I see people kind of throwing that term around all willy nilly. And it's kind of like this umbrella term, like some people you know, feel that thinking deeply is thinking critically, right? Like, no, I sat in a, you know, I think about this all the time, so I'm thinking critically. And, you know, we can't, you know, say, okay, so if you thought about something for a long time, that's being critical of it, you know? Um, especially, like, when we take into account all of the different biases, you know, that we run into and motivated reasoning, all these different things. Personally, personally, what I try to do is whenever there's something, no, no matter what it is, whether it's, you know, a decision I'm making, an investment I'm making, if there's a study that I come across in the news, what I do, one of the tools that I, I, I have is I, I, try to, I try to think of every, or I seek out, you know, because I might not be able to come with, up with it, but the best arguments against it, right? And I love your suggestion about, you know, asking questions like, where did this data came, come from? What does that data mean? Like there's some excellent, excellent books out there. You know, uh, one that I recently read off the top of my head is uh, the, the Data Detective, right? And like you mentioned, like there's, there's sometimes missing context around these numbers. And I think once, once some of us, you know, just learn that, that we learn that we can't just look at numbers and data at face value, we have to kind of ask questions. These are kind of things that like you were mentioning, like we get into a, a better habit. So, you know, something I've personally noticed, I'm sure you have too, trying to talk to people about conspiracies is, you know, when we ask questions, sometimes you can come off a, as like kind of a jerk. So you got, you know, from my experience, at least, you gotta kind of balance it and just like genuinely come from a place of curiosity, like we were talking about earlier, like try to understand where they're coming from. What where did you get this data? Where, you know, and ask them like, hey, where do, where do you think that organization got it from? Did they cite a source? And, you know, if they cited a source, how many other people cite that source? And all these kind of things. Like I go so far that I log into Google Scholar just to see how many people cite a study and see if there's any rebuttals of the study. But anyways, anyways, I know you got to take off suit. Uh, so we'll wrap this up. I got one final question for you. Um, so with, with this infinite amount of disproven conspiracy theories, such as the flat earth theory or the JFK assassination or faking the moon landing, um, when it comes to those, like, 
there have actually been, you know, some legitimate conspiracies that have taken place, such as, uh, you know, Watergate or the Tuskegee uh, syphilis study. So what's the best way, in your opinion, that a person can filter out which conspiracies are completely false and which may have at least like a little bit of truth to them? There are lots of very real conspiracies that have occurred in the past. And there's an interesting mm, kind of debate about what is a conspiracy and what is a conspiracy theory. But yeah, it's not really that complicated. A conspiracy theory is something that is suggested as a hypothesis, as a, as a theory to explain something, but isn't really backed by evidence. You know, it's not so much that it uh, it has contrary evidence. It's something that you know no one's really determined whether it's true or false, or at least in the mind of the, p the person putting it forward. They might think it's true, but they don't really have the evidence to support it. Whereas an actual conspiracy is something that actually happened. Now, uh, you get into kind of these epistemological distinction here, like what is what is knowledge and what is something that did happen. You know, but you know, objectively, if if two people uh, conspired, they got together in secret and they, they planned something out, especially something illegal, that's a conspiracy. And we know these things happen. We know that uh, uh, people in business, let's, let's say Volkswagen, for example, people in that company decided to cheat on, on the emissions test. It wasn't just you know, one guy, it was a bunch of people. They had to, there had to be a conspiracy there. So that's something that actually happened. And we know it happened. But how do you figure out which ones are true and which ones are not? Well, you know, the ones that, that are true end up being uh, reported on by multiple different sources, multiple different independent sources, and they, they become generally agreed and not contested. So if you've got something that's generally agreed upon, like, for example, Watergate actually happened, or the Iran-Contra scandal actually, actually happened, or the Volkswagen uh, emissions uh, um, uh, thing actually happened, or the the plots to cover up the harmful effects of smoking. You know, these things actually happened. We know they happened because we have lots of evidence from lots of different people. Conspiracy theories often just have evidence coming from, or supposed evidence coming from one source or one or two sources. We have like some guy saying that this happened. Like for example, you know, in, the, in a a, um, a more extreme example in terms of how many sources there are there is the vaccine being harmful conspiracy theory you know, there is this conspiracy theory that vaccines are actually not very good for you and that they cause autism and they cause all kinds of of problems and it really kind of mostly comes from this one guy andrew wakefield he wrote this paper that uh, suggested that that vaccines were causing problems and it kind of all revolves around him and if you look if you take a step back and look at it from, uh, uh, you know, from from a distance, there's very very little actual evidence for vaccines causing harm. When there's a, a vast amount of scientific evidence for them not causing harm, so you have to kind of uh, look to the number of sources, but also the you know, the weight of the evidence. If you've got ninety nine percent of scientists telling you one thing and one percent of scientists telling you another thing. It isn't really 50-50, it's 99 to one. Uh, and you have to take that into account. I think a lot of the time we get this thing called false balance. 
where we we uh, we think that the truth is somewhere in the middle or that it's a 50-50 shot as to which of one thing is correct and which which one isn't uh, but really you know if one guy is telling you that one plus one equals two and another guy is telling you that one plus one is three it doesn't mean that the answer is probably two and a half or that it's 50-50 one you know two or three the answer is actually two you know one of them is actually correct and if you canvassed mathematicians on that answer, you know, they're pretty much all going to tell you that the answer is two. And uh, take that into account, you should probably think that it's two as well. You know, in that case, you could probably do your own research with a couple of apples. But um, you know, usually the majority opinion, you know, it's kind of unpopular, the majority opinion amongst authorities is usually correct. You know, sometimes it's wrong, sometimes science you know, turns around, but you know, the vast majority of the time it is actually correct. So look at the uh, the amount of evidence. Look at the amounts of people who believe a certain thing, and look at uh, where they're coming from. Look at the, the wide variety of uh, of people who believe in, in one thing or an, or another, and try to keep an open mind. And keeping an open mind doesn't doesn't mean you know just uh, being open. To these alternative ideas a lot of people think that they have very open minds because they they listen to unpopular ideas like the earth being flat or you know chemtrails being real or uh, QAnon being a le legitimate thing they think that is having an open mind but actually what's happening there is that their their mind is just going to turn from one direction to another direction and narrowed and they don't really have an open mind they have an open mind to a particular set of ideas but it's kind of like if you go into a courtroom and you're on a murder trial jury and you listen to the prosecution giving their case for why this person should be convicted. But whenever the defense lawyer stands up, you completely ignore them. You, uh, you, know, you just put your headphones on or you leave the room whenever the, the, the defense lawyer turns up. So you only hear the evidence and the arguments from the prosecution and if you only hear one side of an argument, especially if it's someone who is advocating for a particular outcome, you are going to get convinced. So by having an open mind to only one side of the argument, you are going to get convinced by that argument. If you completely ignored all these alternative arguments and just listened to the regular arguments, you would be convinced by them. So at the very least, you have to give equal time to both sides of the argument. You have to listen to the prosecution you have to listen to the defense and then you have to make your own decision. Yeah, I'm so glad that you brought up uh, that that false balance. It it's it's really interesting when you know, especially when it comes to, you know, science and facts, you know, there's a there's a huge difference between objective and subjective, right? Like you use the, you know, the, the example of 1 plus 1 equals 2, right? Like this isn't just an opinion and something that I don't think enough people do, like you were talking about, you know, having an open mind is, you know, sit back and ask yourself, ask yourself one question is, what would it take for me to change my belief, right? And if you ever say nothing, nothing would change my belief, no evidence, no possible evidence could change my belief. Like if you're in that place, you know that you've, you've gone to a place where your mind is shut, 
right? Like, for example, just a crazy example, my, my parents, they're my parents, right? And if you ask me, what would it take for you to change that belief? And it's like, okay, a, a DNA test, you know, and, you know, maybe a valid story of who the, my actual parents are or whatever it is, right? But there is something that could disprove it, right? Um, and, you know, if we we're talking about like, you know, uh, the flat earth or whatever it is, it's like, what would prove you otherwise? And it's like, okay, like look at it from afar and see how round it is or the sphere, or, you know, but also the, the consensus aspect. So there's one thing, you know, for anybody, you know, all, all of you lovely listeners out there, like we also have to be careful of the appeal to popularity, right? Like something we constantly heard during the whole Trump, uh, you know, uh, f election fraud scandal was, hey, there's like almost 80 million people who think that this was fraudulent. You know what I mean? And sometimes we got to be like, okay, we got to take a step back and say, okay, but who are these people? What are their credentials? You know, like if I had you know, 3 billion people on planet Earth believing the sky was red, it doesn't mean that it's true just because there's such a wide majority. So like, like, like what you were just saying, Mick, was, you know, who are these people? Are they scientists? Is this their, their specialized field? And we saw this all the time during, uh, you know, when all the COVID stuff started happening. You had these chiropractors coming on saying that the COVID virus isn't dangerous. And it's like, you're a, you're a chiropractor though, you know? So, uh, so yeah, like, I, I love it. I love uh, uh, all these different tips and advice that you, you laid out for us. It's awesome. So for all of, all of these wonderful listeners out here who want to find out where you are and stay up to date with what you're working on, where can they find you, Mick? Uh, that's it. Uh, if you want to follow me, you can find me on Twitter at Mick West. And have a look at mickwest.com for links to my other uh, websites, including Metabunk, where I debunk conspiracy theories and investigate UFOs. All right. A huge, huge thank you to Mick. Like, like I mentioned in the intro, uh, Mick is, uh, his book, Escaping the Rabbit Hole, is one of the first ones I read about you know, debunking conspiracy theories and all that. So please, please, please do yourself a favor. Make sure, check out the description down below. I have links to uh, Mick's Twitter, his website, as well as his book. And and he's on top of things too. Like like I mentioned at the, at the time of, you know, releasing this on May 19th, there was this, this huge conversation around the UFOs and everything. And Mick has been <laughs> debunking things left and right. But I, I really think it's important that we we follow people and, you know, read books and everything like that of people who are, you know, being skeptical and scrutinizing, you know, quote unquote evidence and all that stuff. And that's one of the reasons I love Mick. So a big, big thanks to Mick once again. And I hope you guys enjoyed this third episode of the podcast. And yeah, if you want to stay up to date about all the stuff that I'm working on and all that good stuff in the description, there are links to my social media, uh, at The Rewired Soul on Instagram and Twitter. I have some really cool stuff going on, so make sure that you follow. And if you want to support the channel in any way, or the, the podcast, rather, I'm used to doing YouTube. If you want to support it anyway, there's some stuff uh, down below. You can become a patron where you get, like, exclusive access and, you know, some... Uh, uh, access to my books, ebooks, and audiobooks. Uh, I'm a huge advocate for mental health. There's a link down below, uh, an affiliate link to BetterHelp Online Therapy, which is pretty sweet. So if you want to support and you don't have a penny to your name, that's cool. That's totally cool. All you got to do, all you got to do is tell some people about this podcast. Say, hey, hey, go check Go check that podcast out. Chris interviews some pretty cool people. But anyways, that's all we got for today. I hope you all have a wonderful rest of your day, rest of your week. 
and we will see you next Wednesday for a brand new episode.